Welcome to the Get Inspired with GERD show, brought to you by GERD's Hundle. Join us each week to be inspired, informed and uplifted with some of the most inspirational and motivational guests from around the world. Stay happy, stay healthy, stay inspired. Hello and welcome to Get Inspired with Gerbs. I'm your host and today I have an inspirational guest with me on the show who's challenging the norms of society with his inner words of wisdom. Carl Wilson, aka Humble the Poet, is a talented poet from Canada and he's better known for his poetry, also his rap and also his YouTube videos with Superwoman. And his poetry is very focused on kind of taboo subjects within society. So from self-worth to understanding of self to kind of leading a better life and just not being afraid to be who you are and just being yourself and ignoring what other people have to say about yourself. And I had the opportunity of meeting Humble the Poet at um, his dear friend Inquisitive's exhibition in central London in December. And just, we had this massive conversation about life and understanding and he absolutely blew my mind. And I can't wait for you guys to hear the interview. Humble, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on my radio show and thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Oh, bless you. Well, it's absolutely amazing to actually meet you in person. I, you know, sometimes your words, when I'm reading them, it's like it's talking to me. And it's, it's just weird, like I go into my little zone, I'm like, yeah, I know exactly what you're on about. And so my dear, you've got a very unique style of poetry. How old were you when you first kind of discovered your passion for words? Uh, spoken word poetry, I don't know how old I was, but I was, I was in university. I, uh, I had attended an event. I went to a concert, and the opening act for the concert was a spoken word poet. And um, the only line I remember, he said something about like a relationship, and he's like, like a fine wine, we get better with time. And I was like, ooh, that's a good line. And, uh, <laughs> just kind of mean, like, I liked, I liked what he was doing. And uh, I'd always been writing. I'd been like writing stories since I was a child. Being a creative writer, I always loved it. But I never, you know, nobody ever tells you that that's a possibility to be one. So... Uh, Would you say that's just within our community or is that just in general? Well, I mean, yeah, you don't, I don't know, I think you, I wasn't thinking, even when I was a child like writing stories, I wasn't thinking about it. I was still thinking about being a fireman or being something else. When you're younger, when you're in high school, I wasn't thinking about it as much. Mm. And in university time, I started getting back into it a little bit more. Mm. And uh, yeah, so I kind of got into spoken word that way. Um, that's what kind of propelled me to try it out. And then uh, we have a, a pretty vibrant scene in Toronto and I went to like the amateur nights. And, uh, you know, took out my little poetry book as things that I kind of wrote and uh, let it, you know, the rest is history, I guess. What kind of response did you receive when you kind of did your first ever? Well, I felt like I took my first dip into it dramatically late. Like, let's, you know, maybe five years after I wrote my first poem, I actually performed my first poem. Wow. So um, I went to this amateur contest in a, in a, in a coffee shop and uh, I made it to the finals. And I made it to the finals. I lost in the finals. But I made it to the finals, which was impressive. Wow. And uh, yeah, and then I started doing amateur nights. And then I guess I was doing, am and there was professionals on there. There were people, you know, who had names at that point. So I, I would do the amateur nights and I uh, joined a couple other competitions. And I, uh, I wasn't doing well at all in any of the competitions. And then just having that evolve. And then one day I started writing with music in the background. Mm. And then naturally my, my rhyme started going on to the music, which, which is pretty much rap. Wow. And uh, yeah, like pretty much the rest is history from there. Wow. 
So what was the next step after that? You've gone out there. I started making music, started putting out my music on YouTube. Was just put, no videos, just putting out text videos with my lyrics on them. And uh, yeah, on a local level, things were going well. Um, you know, I was, I was working as a teacher. I had a you know little local celebrity status back then. And uh, what kind of teacher was it? Was it's it? An elementary school teacher. I used to teach grade three, third grade. Yeah. Did you ever kind of speak any lyrics in front of them or? Well, they started before? again. It was <laughs> when I started, like maybe within the first, you know, probably three years of me doing it. Like the school people in school are picking up on me doing it so the kids knew mm. everyone knew like oh mr singh goes downtown and he reads poems and he raps <laughs> and stuff so they already knew mm. so i you know i might have done like a lesson here or there but i wouldn't like create a whole lesson to teach them math i would i didn't have the the patience and energy to do that so this was really a creative outlet for me on the side um, mm. i used to read to them a lot not my own stuff just my own favorite children's authors i used to read to them a lot. i loved it and then that helped me develop an appreciation for children's authors because it's much more difficult to use the small words mm. to say the heavy things. And, you know, authors like Dr. Seuss, um, he's talking about very deep concepts, using mm. very light language and using very simple to understand metaphors. Mm. And uh, as an adult, if you read them, you're like, oh my God, like this is a lot heavier than I thought. So I, got, I gained a real appreciation from that. So I loved story time with the kids and being very animated when I read to them and doing all that type of stuff, yeah. So let me ask, what's your favorite story? Growing up, all your favorite book? Uh, there's a book called uh, Sideways Stories from Wayside School. Okay. It's an author named Lewis Sacker. Uh, he's also famous for, he wrote a book and, a and they made a movie of it called uh, Holes. Um, Shia LaBeouf, when he was a kid, he started in that movie. And uh, Lewis Sacker wrote Sideways from Wayside School. And it's a really cool story about they built a school with 30 classrooms, but they, they, they didn't read the blueprint properly, so they built each classroom on top of each other. So the, the school was 30 floors. What? Yeah. So it's, it's just really, it's about this really wonky school. And it's about 30 floors and it's, and it's centered around um, the classroom on top, which is Mrs. Jewel's class. So every kid in the class was a character in themselves and just the wonkiest stories. And it was just, I had, it was read to me when I was a kid. I remember my teacher reading it to me uh, when I was eight. And then, you know, fast forward and I'm like 28 and I'm reading it to these kids and it wow. still connects. You know what I mean? Like there's no, it was just so universal and I loved it. You know what I mean? Like the kids loved me. And every chapter is like three pages. So I could read a chapter every day to the kids. They loved it. They loved it so much. So that really motivated me to kind of get into writing. And from music, I was doing music, but I wasn't doing it at the level I wanted to do it and at the speed I wanted to do it. And I started blogging on my, my Facebook page. Um, and then people were like, you should write a book. So I started collecting my writings and I published my first book uh, last March mm. called Unlearn. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah, I've read you. it as well. Thank <laughs> you so much. Yeah, and so that was a natural progression from that. And then from that, I started writing more and I just finished my second book, Beneath the Surface. I'll be honest with you. I've been writing quotes for five years of my life when yeah. I was going on my journey. You actually inspired me to get it out there. I was scared to put it out there because I was like, hmm, how are people going to perceive it? And this year I was like, screw it. I'm just going to put it out. So... Thank you for that, for just giving me that. Hey, you, you did it by yourself. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't do anything. Just, I just reminded you that you need to do it. Exactly, but you still no. made me realize that it was worth putting out there. I yeah. just didn't know how people were reacting to it because yeah. personally, I was putting quotes out on Facebook throughout my whole journey, yeah. but I was getting different reactions. You know what it's like. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people are like, yeah. Some people are like, oh, what the hell is that? Mm -hmm. So I was like, should I really put it out? Should I not? So you kind of were part of my journey. Okay, That's probably the best it. way of putting it. Yeah. So my dear, you know, you started on the journey, following what you wanted to do. Who inspired you when you started out with um, poetry? 
Who are your biggest A lot of writers. A lot of, you know, I was listening to a lot of hip-hop. I grew up on Lauryn Hill, Outkast, uh, a lot of rappers. I was very heavy into, like, substance-based artists, artists who had a message um, back then, just based off the morals I had back then, being a kid, being idealistic. Um, I love various authors, as I said, you know, Louis Sacker, um, uh, Dr. Seuss, and just anybody that was stimulating to me. Mm. And uh, that's kind of what I was trying to be. I, was, I, was, I pretty much had decided that, you know, they had an impact on me. I wanted to be have an impact moving forward. Um, also, I kind of felt that hip-hop specifically wasn't given the respect it deserved. I felt mm. that, you know, your average rapper should be held in a higher prestige than Shakespeare. You know, he's... They, they've done, they've accomplished in literary arts far more than he ever had. He was one of the, you know, he's one of the, he's a game changer. You know, first off, there's no proof that he actually existed, number one. But number two, <laughs> I get his appeal. Um, I get how, you know, he taught us a lot of liter literary devices. Um, if, you don't, if you don't have the right teacher to teach you Shakespeare properly, you're not going to appreciate it. I was fortunate. I had a couple good teachers yeah. that made me appreciate it. Didn't feel like homework. I think every lesson that a high school kid needs to learn about language, they could learn it much more excitingly from hip hop. They're, they're much better writers. You have guys mm. like guys like Jay Z, Biggie, Lil oh, Wayne. Yes. They've never put a pen to paper. Everything they've ever presented was written in their heads and recited from their heads. Like that talent in itself is just beyond me i tried that once it took, <laughs> it took me it took me seven days to write 16 lines in my head and these guys do it on the regular basis you know what i mean mm. with various chemicals inside of them you know I mean? so <laughs> it was it's, it's it's just inspiring and it's like you take your favorite radiohead song and it's 10 lines 12 mm. lines you take your favorite hip-hop song it's like three verses of 16 it's amazing what these guys have done mm. it's an I, I think a lot of people don't recognize the evolution of art in general and hip-hop rapping specifically is the evolution of literary art mm. you know we wouldn't have rap without shakespeare but you literary art ha does it has to evolve and you have to acknowledge that by giving credit to what rappers do what, a, what i've noticed as well with hip-hop and rap as well all the characters have gone through something mm -hmm. and like you said it is expressing it's freestyling isn't it it's expressing yeah. it through their words and you're right. When I've looked up on a lot of different people, like Jay-Z, for example, you just... The way he talks about life and, yeah. in general, he's very inspired, but it's from within. Yeah. It's, it's not him talking. It's almost like he's a vessel. Well, and that's work. what it is. It's, it, it was a voice for the voice. Like, the first song I ever released was called Voice for the Voiceless, and it was inspired mm. by that concept that hip-hop was... You know, you're coming from a community that don't have any resources. They don't have mm. access to education. Mm. If you don't have access to education, then you can't effectively communicate your emotions and your feelings yeah. if you can't if you can't effectively communicate your emotions and your feelings then you're gonna lash out to to, to vent mm. and that's where a lot of violence comes from it's a mm. breakdown in communication mm. arguments start because communication breaks down and mm. if you don't have the necessary education to communicate or there's the skills you can't do it so hip-hop was that venting they found a way to vent out their frustrations and talk about their conditions you know in the early days without having to resort to violence and they were painting a picture with words. And they were doing it on behalf of everybody who did not know how to do that. Mm. It was such an important thing to exist. It's, it's, it's the perfect example of how a lack of resources encourages an abundance of creativity. You know, mm. 
they didn't have instruments, they didn't know how to play instruments, so they started, they started sampling the parents' records. You know, they didn't have a lot of space to dance, they, they, they started breakdancing, which was one person dancing at a time. Mm. It's such a beautiful, natural occurrence that happened. You know, the first time DJ Cool Herc, all he was doing was, you know, he's throwing a party in the basement of his apartment, <laughs> and the record is spinning, and all he's doing is, because he wants to keep people dancing, he keeps bringing the record back. And that's where <laughs> scratching came from. Oh my god, really? You know, yeah, like, it, it, this was so natural and so new, and he would be like, come on, people, put your hands up, put your hands That's where rapping started. Oh my god. He's still alive. The guy who invented rap is still alive. Like, that's insane. You know what I mean? And it's such a beautiful, natural occurrence, and, you know, I want to be a, that culture change my life and I want to be you know I have the necessary resources education life experiences to contribute and I want mm. people that's why I call myself a humble poet not humble the rapper I want people to realize that we're, we we will do this on that level and it will get the recognition it eventually deserves mm. you know instead of just right now it's currently viewed as pop culture but eventually it's going to be viewed as high art I think it's changing. It is changing, but it's changing very slowly. It's changing, but at the same time, it's, it's because people on the outside don't understand the culture as well, mm. that they, they, they judge it superficially. You know, They'll be like, oh, these people are all about the money. These people are all about the women. They're all about what have you. And again, I don't blame anybody for not understanding it, but once mm. you get into it, you kind of understand. Like These are people expressing their dreams. These are people, you know, it's not, and, and a lot of people are like, you know, you can recognize Jay-Z as a vessel. Mm. He is speaking for people. Mm. But a lot of people think he's speaking to people. It's like Kanye West as well. A lot of people get Kanye West wrong. They get him wrong, right? But in a hundred years, they won't. Mm. He'll, you know, and he understands that. He understands that. That's why he called himself Walt Disney. He knows. And, and, and in the world we live in, if you don't have that level of self-determination and belief, you're not going to make it. Yeah. You have to think you're the best. You have to think you, 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 there's nothing better than you for you to just survive in this world. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I just want to be a part of that and contribute and kind of, I feel like I'm in debt to it. I want it to pay back. Mm. So it's not more so, you know, because again, I, I, when you produce art and you put work out, you're only half the interaction. I put out a piece of work, I'm 50%, you're the other 50%. Mm. How you choose to take it is really none of my business or even my concern. <laughs> so I can't, again, I can't do it for the accolades. I can't do it for any of that. Obviously, you know, the more people that like my stuff, the easier it is for me to support myself to make more stuff. So obviously, I, I have a stake in that outcome. But my goal is to just, I feel like I've taken so much out of that pot to feed my soul. Now I'm in a position where I want to give, fill that pot up again and let people do whatever they want. And whether I inspire the next great artist or whether I am the next great artist, that that's, that's what will happen when it happens. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Taking me to another level. <laughs> so, you know, you recently went on a tour. Can you tell me more about that? What was kind of your experiences on that tour? Did you um, learn was, a lot about yourself? And yeah, I went on tour with Lily Singh, uh, also known as Superwoman. Mm -hmm. uh, she had a tour called A Trip to Unicorn Island, which was AT2UI for short. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've done music with her, so she had a music segment in the show. So I was part of that music segment. So I had a... She gave me two jobs. My job was number <laughs> one. To, I, was, I was part of the climax of the show, the highlight, the high energy element of the show. Mm. And behind the scenes, my job was to be the calming energy, the guy that could keep everybody, mm. you know, it's a very stressful situation mm. doing that. And uh, I have, according to her, a calming energy <laughs> around, right? So um, those are my two jobs. Keep everybody cool <laughs> behind the stage and keep things hyper on stage. Mm. And um, 
It was it was very good. it was a very interesting situation you know traveling the world with uh, making brand new friends with a lot of the dancers and other you know the tech people the stage manager all of that um, you learn a lot about yourself I learned you know I learned how much sleep I can actually survive off of I learned you know reaffirmed the importance of travel how so important it is to travel in this world to get the necessary education to to be a complete human being. Um, you know, seeing showbiz, you know, how it works behind mm -hmm. the scenes, how everything, you know, getting getting a taste of that. You know, before that, I was doing shows for max two, three hundred people, max I've ever done in a room. Oh, wow. And this is like 15 to 2,500. We did Trinidad for 5,000 people. Oh, my God. So getting a chance to have, you know, and with that, just some simple things, better equipment, you know, having an earpiece in, having somebody dedicated to making me sound, make sure my volume was on point. Small <laughs> things like that, working with lighting, working with stages. These are things I had never done. I'd always just done small clubs. So just getting a taste of that, you know, kind of getting to see what I want for my future. Because I don't have the the necessary reach to do a world tour myself with those numbers, but she does. And she, so mm -hmm. she brought me as a part of it so I can see what I want, wow. what I can aim for and I can work for. Wow. What was your favorite part out of everything on the tour? What's the most memorable moment for yourself personally? Most memorable moment on the tour? Um, Probably lots of things. It was an interesting thing. I mean, I'm just trying to think what the most memorable. Was it was it in front of the scenes or was it behind the scenes? Or? I mean, like, at one point we were like going so crazy in Chicago that the sound system blew out. What? Like everything blew out. No. Yeah. So like the sound died. Oh my god. And but we didn't miss a step. We just kept going, just screaming at the top of our lungs. Oh my god! Halfway through the event. Yeah. So I'm so I'm, I'm on stage. I'm performing, and I'm, I'm we're rapping and we're you know and I'm I'm all into it. Energy's high and all of a sudden music stops. Mics die. Everything. But we, we just made it seem like we did it on purpose, and we just started screaming to the crowd, "How y'all feeling? Everybody, make some noise!" We just kept doing it until they fixed it, and uh, um, that was that was crazy. Um, I mean, performing in Toronto, it, you know, because we Toronto wasn't it was the the middle of the tour. Mm. You know, Toronto was oh, wow. the because we started international, then we came back to North America. Okay. So our first North American show was Toronto, and then we went on a North American tour. Mm. So performing in Toronto was was just wonderful because I don't perform at home a lot, but as well as like you know. Why is life? Don't want me asking. Um. I think they're not ready for you. It's <laughs> not about being not being ready. I think it's you know when you're a, you're local, you're just a local act. You don't really do it as much. It's you know. It, I mean, they're not ready for you. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to say not ready, but I mean, it, feel, it feels good to perform at home, though. Especially, you know, especially a lot of my work is very Toronto-centric. I make a lot of Toronto references. I do a lot of that. And I mean, like, even Drake does it, too. Like, the average person in the UK will hear him, but they won't know the small references that he makes Toronto. to the city. And he does it a lot. And mm. uh, it feels good. So, like, even, so even being in a Toronto club, hearing Drake music, just feels, it, it, it makes everything feel like you're at home. It's this feeling of being home. It's like being at a family wedding, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> performing, doing the music performances, we have a song called IVIVI, which is uh, the Roman numerals 416, which is our area code. So, the whole, this whole song is about... Oh, wow. Yeah, the whole song is about Toronto. And it was a promo for the world tour, but the whole song was about seeing the world in my city. So, you know, Singapore wow. in my city, 
you know, UK in my city. That's how we, we called it. But it was all about everything. Because we live in one of the most multicultural cities in the world, which mm. is Toronto. And everywhere in the world, because, like, they're hardcore fans, they knew for, it was 416. It was about Toronto. They all knew it. But when we did it in Toronto, they felt it. They made us feel it. Like, everybody was singing at the top of their lungs. It was a Toronto moment. And it, it had that. And I know a lot of people, wasn't, wasn't, they weren't saying that was their favorite show, but I'm very big on the home crowd. It wasn't even the biggest show. It was mm. one of the smallest shows, actually. But it was just that energy, and it, and it just had, it felt very vindicating, like, uh, just to perform that and to see that. And I, and I love that. And it was, I, I guess it was kind of like, you know, you go to your favorite sports team, and if everybody's wearing a Manchester United jersey, everyone's cheering for that. That common energy that goes in, mm -hmm. that's, you know, normally you're part of the audience. This is now, I'm, I'm, they're doing it to me. And uh, that was beautiful. That was a beautiful experience. But I mean, making friends, probably making friends with everybody on the tour was a big thing. It was, mm -hmm. you know, like, we have, a, we have a film coming out about the tour uh, at the Amazing. end of January. And it's going to be on uh, YouTube's new channel, YouTube Red. Mm -hmm. And uh, you guys will get a chance to see it. And it's, it's beautiful because we, you know, we made a film slash documentary about the entire thing. And it, we had to, we had no drama. It didn't depend on drama to exist, you know? No, mm -hmm. I, I, Nobody in the entire tour for two and a half months got in an argument. Nothing like that. We were very loving, supportive. Uh, things. Yeah, it, it became a family. And it, it, was, it was organically built. And I was shocked. I was like, you guys... Because I was, I was the last to join the tour. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I wasn't there for the casting. I wasn't there for the picking the dancers. I wasn't even a part of the tour. So this, these people were all chosen. Oh, wow. And then Lily was like, hey, I want you to be a part of this. Oh. So me and her are good friends. But for her to successfully pick another eight wonderful people... Based off a dance audition, I was like, wow, like, these people are talented. That's powerful. And they're just sweethearts. They're wonderful to be around. So, like, Aww. late nights in the people's hotel rooms, playing <laughs> games, having fun, you know, like, and again, you get to travel the world with these people. It's just, we wow. have nonstop memories everywhere. Wow. Yeah. Where was, where was the favorite, what was your favorite location out of all the tours? Well, for me, the favorite location actually was London, Shepherd's Bush, because <laughs> such a historic venue. Mm. So, like, the venue was just, you know, creaky old semi-haunted it just felt amazing so again like i me having the least amount to do on the tour you know i could spend so much time just soaking it in walking around so while they're rehearsing i'm sitting in every section of this the of, of the venue you know what I mean? I'm sitting in the balcony. I'm sitting in the front. I'm sitting in the side. You know, I'm going through the secret exits. I'm climbing up ladders. I'm, I'm exploring. I have the opportunity to do all of that while they're all rehearsing. And Shepherd's Bush was just one of like, you know, it's one of the, it's the venue. It's the venue everybody wants to play in. You know, like Charlie Chaplin played there. Amy Winehouse played there. You know yeah. what I mean? And to see all of that history now, to say I was a part of that, it's just yeah. Shepherd's Bush was hands down my favorite. Would you say part of? The tour was your inspiration for your second book. Yeah, I wrote about the tour a lot in the second book. I wrote, definitely wrote about it. I almost wrote about. The, I, I was almost about to write a whole book about the tour. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. It was a. Uh, again, it was an, it, it was almost a once in a lifetime experience. Like I hope it's not a once in a lifetime experience for me. I want to go on more world tours, but I mean, it, it was something that I never imagined. You, you didn't know what you were signing up for. Mm. You know what I mean. Uh, it was very difficult physically, mentally. It was very demanding. Um, not every day was the most pleasant day. Um, How many hours sleep were you roughly? Two to three. Ooh, every yeah. day. Two to three a day. Um, <laughs> the tour was organized very late. So because of that, there was no tour buses. Everything was planes. So 
what people don't realize is because they're traveling to airports, that's an extra three hours every single time. Yeah. Checking in, checking out, whatever. So there's no buses uh, until you get into a country, right? So yeah, I think we took a bus from London to Birmingham, Birmingham to Manchester. But when we were in North America, it was a flight. Oh my God. Every single city. <laughs> yeah, so there wasn't a lot of sleep. Um, if you finish at 11 o'clock, or 12 o'clock and you get out because there's like fans waiting for you all that you get up at 12 30 you know and try to find a place to eat you to eat i was you know eating out of vending machines you know it's not as glamorous as it looks so then we started then the fans started gifting us stuff so we started like putting it out there like hey give us some instant cheese and macaroni some, you know. yeah because then we, at least we had a microwave in the hotel we can cook the food and eat it right it, was, it got to that point wow yeah it got to that point so it was just it was i mean again it was uh I mean, and I mean, this was a proper tour. It was a properly funded tour, but it's just like, you know, if it's 1230 and you're in a small city like Kansas, there's nothing open. Mm. There's nowhere to go for food. You need your fans to help you. Yeah, you need them to help. And they do. They're they wonderful. They to see you. They help, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, there were fun times. We had the party. We partied in Hong Kong. We partied in Dubai. We had some crazy, yeah, we had some crazy experiences as well. It was, uh, I got to see a lot of really cool things. It was oh. really cool. So, Mate, what brings you to London? I'm here for Inquisitive's first ever London exhibit in this five-year celebration of mm. him being the wonderful artist that he is. Mm. I saw your um, picture of yourself on there as well. There's an art piece of yourself. Yeah. How does that feel? There's a few. Of, there's a few. I think there's was two. There oh, yeah, what? it should be. I think so. Uh, he post what he posted up there was uh, there's one of me like there's two pictures of me looking at each other. Yeah. yeah so um, what had happened was he. I had a flyer, I had, I had a show in Vancouver. So this is when I was completely local. The first time I'd ever gotten a show outside of the city was in Vancouver. Mm. We had made a flyer, put it out. And what he did was he took the flyer and he drew it. He redrew it, like like a fan. Just drew it. I didn't know who he was back then. Wow. And then he sent me this picture. He was like, hey, I drew this picture of you. And, and I was like, super cool. His style, I've never seen that before. Wow. I was like, this is super dope. And I shared it on Facebook, shared it. And this is before Instagram. I shared it on Facebook, shared it on whatever social media wow. I was using back then. And... Um, stayed in contact and then what he did was um, I sent him a song and what he did was he drew on his bedroom wall a picture of me. and he shot a video we have a video it's a video it's oh called uh, Cocaine Rock that's the name of the beat we wrapped, it's like a mixtape track and we wrapped it with this beat called Cocaine Rock mm. so it's called Cocaine Rock and uh, yeah he made he shot the whole video he shot a video and he wrote, drew it all over his wall so when I came for the first time to London, the first performance was in 2011, he was in the crowd. He said, hey, you remember me? Hey, uh, uh, remember we, did, we worked together on that video? I need you to come to my house and uh, see the picture I drew on my wall before my mother kills me. Yeah, and uh, I didn't go. This is the first time I've ever been to his house. You put, oh, I don't blame you because you'd be like, hmm. No, not even that. Like, we've been friends. I just oh, never right. get it. He lives... You know, all the way east, I just never get to go to his house. And uh, he gifted me that picture. The oh, one that's hanging up. Wow. He gifted me that. And the interesting thing is I never took it home. I left it at my mama's house. It was too big for a suitcase. So he gifted me the picture. But again, I took pictures of it. I posted it. And then, so what he says, is, I don't agree, but he says that I helped get him exposure in North America, which helped him start his tours. Because he, he, this is the first time he did a show here. But he's been doing shows for the last couple of years in North America. But, you know... I think everybody serves a purpose in your life. 
and so you were there to help him to some degree. No, and I'm sure his work would have made it out there anyways, right? Like, it's, it, it's great enough. It's, if I was one person to share mm. it once, it's fine. So, and that's the reason I'm here. Because he's like, mm. let's bring it back full circle. I, I started oh. this with you. I want to celebrate my five years with you. Yeah, it was wonderful. So, um, yeah, he gifted me that. So that's the, the painting has gone, gone up. And we've collaborated on a lot of stuff. Um, he was actually, he actually designed the first cover of my first book. But I didn't use it. Um, it was a picture of, uh, the, the book was originally going to be called Butterflies and Lions. And uh, there's a picture of me, and he turned my face into. Uh, I, have, I have CDs actually. I use it for. I'm using it for a CD. Mm -hmm. uh, he turned my face into half butterfly, half lion. Wow. And uh, it's beautiful, but I didn't. But the book isn't. The first book isn't about me, so I didn't want my mm -hmm. face to be on the cover. So you know, I used the 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 uh, the light bulb and the leaf instead. But that, yeah, I made the conscious effort. Like, well, I don't. I, well, this is beautiful, but I don't want to use it for that. So I'm mm -hmm. actually gonna release. Eventually, I'm gonna release a. Uh, poetry book and I'm going to use that as a cover and uh, yeah so he did that and then I actually tried to get him to be, be a part of the second cover and I was with him <laughs> in, at his exhibit in LA but again it was just hectic times mm. and I had, I had a crazy deadline so I actually hand drew, hand drew it myself this time wow. the background images for my cover for this book but um, yeah we just have a, a wonderful history and it's wonderful five years later that we're still good friends but yeah five years later is the first time <laughs> I got to actually go to his house wow yeah. wow it's beautiful I know some of my listeners would love to hear you recite some lines. Would that be possible? There's nothing that comes to my head right now. Oh. Yeah. But I mean. Being shy. <laughs> no, definitely not shy. There's nothing that normally. Yeah. Again, spoken word. The whole, the whole thing with spoken word is you need to have. Ninety percent of spoken word is how you deliver it. Hmm. And you need that type of energy. You need to feel it. And okay. This is more of a quiet. You know, we got candles. It is quite calming, isn't it? Yeah, this, this, this background. Is, yeah. The chilled out thing. Yeah, it's not a okay. turn up type of <laughs> No, that's okay. Um, so we are coming towards the end of the show. I wanted to ask you, what are your kind of five top tips for someone who's trying to express themselves through words but they don't really know where to start? Well, I think you got to ask, well, if the goal is to express yourself, then mm. be open to more than one idea of how to express yourself. If you're trying to express yourself with words and you can't find the right words, then maybe words isn't the way you should express mm. yourself. You know, maybe you can draw... Maybe you can, you know, uh, cook, bake, you know, everything is an art. Everything. Mm. Do hair, put clothes together. You know, fashion designing is art. It's mm. all art. Mm. Bringing new ideas to life is that. Um, so with that said, I think if they're having trouble using words, maybe words that aren't for them, mm. you know. Um, for me, words come out. Like that's, that's what I I can't draw. You know, I couldn't draw my life depended on it. Everybody, you know, I can't swim. There's a, lot of, there's a million things I can't do. Mm. Uh, you know, but I'm known for what I can do. Mm. So I think people need to figure out what they can do, mm. focus on that, and elevate that by focusing on, on a consistent, regular basis. You can't be a writer if you don't write every day. Yeah. Um, and the biggest difference between an amateur and a professional in any field is the amateur way so they're inspired. A professional is coincidentally inspired every single day. Mm. Right, you got to do it every day if you want to be a professional. And mm. a lot of people don't realize that. They like the romantic idea of like, oh, I just woke up today, I'm inspired to write four lines, and let's call it a day. Like, no, that's not how it works. That's not how you, Stephen King and all these, you know, highly successful authors are. They sit down mm. every day, no matter what, and put, you know, pen to paper and and bring their ideas to mm. life. Even like Steve Jobs, it wasn't. It would be him hidden. I don't know if you know, it was hidden in a room. 
with no technology and yeah. you just sit there and just like every single day until yeah, the timings come to him. And that's what you have to do. Like yeah. and again, like and that's the beautiful thing the beautiful thing about Inks uh exhibit. Like he showed his entire evolution. Like I remember oh, when cool. he first came out, you know, and it was like, oh, okay, he took a painting that we've all recognized the Guru Gobind Singh and he yeah. just kinda of flipped it, but it was still a painting that already existed. He just changed the colors. Mm. And it was like, you know, this isn't you know, I heard you know people like this isn't creative, this isn't original, but it's like listen, he's starting. Mm. Let's see where he goes. And if you don't let him start, that you can stop him, you know, and look where he's gone after five years. Like the work has gone leaps and bounds. And that's what happens with any artist. If a, if a guy starts rapping tomorrow, yeah. he'll probably sound like Drake. He's going to. Like he's gonna sound like his influences, mm. but then he's gonna find his voice eventually if he sticks with it long enough. A lot and a lot of people don't stick with it. I think the easiest way to be successful with this new short attention span generation that we're a part of is, just, <laughs> is simply stick with it yeah everybody wants to do it but not everybody wants to put in the work yeah you know what i mean and if you have already said look i'm gonna put in the work every single day no matter what i can guarantee you success i guarantee you the consistency and the persistence the work ethic will always trump your talent you don't have to be talented it's, it's true. It's not about talent. It's being, like you said, it's true. Yeah, it's getting your stuff out there, no matter what, even if it's not perfect, because yeah. nothing will ever be perfect. It's not supposed to be. Because that's your beauty. Yeah, you're a work of art. You're just you're work. You're a continual work of art, mm. and the only time you're going to be done is when you're dead. You know what I mean? Every day you're working. Every day you're chipping away at yourself. You are both. What was that quote I heard? You're both a sculptor and the rock. You know what mm. I mean? You have to cause yourself the pain and discomfort to become who you are. You're chipping away at yourself. Mm. And you have to do that. You can't, if you're like, oh, I have to wait till this is perfect before I put it out. It's never going to be perfect. You're never going to put it out. You're never going to see any progress. <laughs> right? So that's all it is. And the earlier you start, you know, the more time you do. A lot of people will wait. They're just sitting on their hands, waiting to pull the trigger on their dreams. And then years go by and then nothing happens. And then they wonder. And then they, to convince themselves, they'll be like, oh, well, so-and-so got lucky. Or so-and-so knew the right people. And you're like, no, they didn't. They did the work when you didn't. You know what I mean? That word luck, winds, I don't know about you, but it winds me up because nobody's lucky. It's, it's well, that's the whole thing. And I mean, and again, luck is, if, if, if anything, luck is when your preparation meets an opportunity. Mm. If an opportunity comes by you and you're ready for it, mm. and then people consider that lucky, you know, if you have a chance meeting with somebody and you impress them, you impress them because you were prepared. Mm. And again, with everybody I know who's successful, like, you know, for every image, if Amin had 600 images up at the exhibit, nobody was with him when he drew those. He did those all by himself. Mm. You know, he didn't just draw one and hope it changed his life. He kept going every mm. single day. And same thing with Lily. He was releasing videos when nobody cared about her. You know what I mean? It's, it was happening consistently every two days a week. And that's what, it, that's what this life is. It's, it's putting yourself in a, a lonely dungeon and putting out the work. <laughs> and hoping you find satisfaction from completing the work nothing mm. else you can't find satisfaction from hoping people like it mm. it's not about them it's about you completing it and the victory for you is getting it done mm. simply so Madi we are at the end of the show when is your your book you said the second book's being released it's out oh, it's out okay. it's out so you can get it all on Amazon so the first book is Unlearn and the second book is called Unlearn Beneath the Surface so it's pretty much uh, I don't want to say it's the second half of the first book. It's more so a continuation, but not. A, it, it doesn't take you. It's not a sequel. It's the same. It's taking you deeper into the ideas. So in the first book, I talk. Uh, you said you've read the book. I talk about a lot about ideas, but I don't talk a lot about myself. The second book is a lot about me. 
and where those ideas come from. Because a lot of people just assume that I was, you know, they're like, oh, you're wise, you're smart, you're, you know, and I'm sitting there like, no, let me write about all the mistakes I made where <laughs> I learned all this stuff. Mm. And then number one, you're going to realize how, how, how much of a typical dumbass I am. And number two, you're also going to realize that the only difference between me and maybe the average person is I gave myself extra time to look at things from a different perspective mm. and, le- you know, and learn that way. I didn't immediately judge what was happening to me. I took a step back, evaluated it, and that's it. Mm. But it's nothing. I don't, I don't feel like I'm saying anything revolutionary. I just feel like I'm reminding people of stuff they already knew. Mm. And is there any events? You're, obviously, you've been at Amandit's event, Inquisitive's event. Yeah. Um, any other places that you're um, going to be out soon? No, I'm actually hoping not to be part of any events for a while. I want to <laughs> I want to lock myself up in my dungeon and be very creative. I want to work on a lot of more lot more music now. Now that this book is out. Going on a solo tour, I guess. Huh? <laughs> solo tour with yourself. <laughs> yeah, well, now I'm not going to even go on tour. I actually just want to release a lot of music mm. for a good solid year and uh, see what happens after that. Okay. I just want to focus on that more so because it takes a lot. I mean, with I'm in planning his exhibit, that takes time, and that takes time away from the art. I've been doing a lot of stuff myself, doing my own events, being a part of other people's events. That takes away time from your own art. Um, the logistics behind putting the book together took away time. Now that that's all done, I can just be an artist. So I've devoted 2016 to just being an artist. Amazing. And um, where can my listeners find you? If there's anybody out there who hasn't heard of you yet and yeah. wants to know more, where can um, they find you, man? Humble the Poet on any social media. It's the easiest. I have all the handles. So just at Humble the Poet. Um, or my website, humblethepoet.com. Very simple. Perfect. Well, it's been amazing having the show. And just thank you for just being yourself. Because in this day and age, it's very hard to meet people who are very authentic and just being from a true place. Mm-hmm. So thank you for just Thank you for you. having me. I appreciate it. Great interview. Great person. Great personality. And overall a great human being humble it was an absolute pleasure having you on the show and just keep doing what you're doing because you're inspiring people without realizing it and even for myself as i was saying before you inspire me to just even though they were my own words but you inspire me to just take that action because sometimes in life we can be a bit afraid in to do things and you've got this unique way of just reminding people that just go out there don't be afraid just whatever it is just go and just embrace it and just enjoy the journey. And unfortunately, it's the end of the show, guys. Uh, just before I head off, don't forget you can find me on Twitter at I am Gerds. That's I-A-M-G-U-R-D-S. You can find me on Facebook at Get Inspired with Gerds, where I'll be bringing you lots of inspirational, motivational quotes, but also videos and lots of other packages to help you to transform your life and find your purpose. And be- also, you can check out my book, which is on Amazon, which is Educo, which is E-D-U-C-O. And this week, I want to leave you guys with this quote. Be yourself because everybody else is taken. You know, you are your own light. You are this unique person for a reason. Just go out there and do what you need to do because you are perfect. Take care, guys, and I'll speak to you soon. Bye. Join us each week to be inspired, informed, and uplifted with some of the most inspirational and motivational guests from around the world. Stay happy. Stay healthy. Stay inspired. Thank you.